It's 8.30 on Tuesday, January 22nd. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, results of an annual report suggest Mississippi lawmakers should spend more on tobacco prevention and control. Then, thinking of quitting smoking in 2019, find out what an expert says about planning ahead. And we'll hear from women of color marching for equality across the state and nation. Plus, the League of Women Voters will be busy this election year informing and advocating for the public electorate. Learn more about their work. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi should be spending more on tobacco prevention and control. That's according to the Centers for Disease Control. The state is currently spending $8.4 million, which is 23% of what the CDC recommends. Still, a new report from a coalition of leading public health organizations ranks the state 21st in spending. The Tobacco Settlement Annual Report evaluates how revenue generated from the settlement and tobacco taxes is used in the state's efforts to prevent kids from smoking and to help smokers quit. John Schachter is pre- or director rather, of state communications with the Campaign for Tobacco-Free Kids. He says raising the tobacco tax is one of the most important things the state could do to bring down smoking rates. This is our annual report that looks at how states are doing when it comes to the money they've received from both the tobacco settlement and tobacco taxes, and if they're spending some of that on tobacco prevention programs. And unfortunately, most states get a failing grade. They're receiving billions of dollars in tobacco revenue, but really not spending enough on tobacco prevention programs. And the state legislatures just aren't uh, appropriating the funds uh, sufficiently in most states. And as a result, we're uh, losing some ground in our otherwise winning battle against tobacco use. There's no punishment or punitive action that can be taken against states that aren't using that money as it was intended? No, unfortunately, uh, at the time of the settlement, very few states required the spending of any amount on tobacco prevention and cessation programs. It was almost a no-brainer that, of course, we're going to spend some of this money on tobacco prevention. That's what the settlement's for. But when legislatures realized they could use the money for anything, they just really moved tobacco prevention and cessation much lower on their priority list. The problem is it's a a wise thing to do to spend the money on tobacco prevention because it will save lives and money. It's a wise investment uh, and the right thing to do. So it's unfortunate that states aren't doing it, but we need them to pay more attention and to do it. How is Mississippi doing on spending money? The state is spending uh, this year $8.4 million on tobacco prevention. That ranks at 21st, so not not that bad in the rankings, but it's only spending 23% of what the CDC recommends the state spends, and uh, unfortunately that's obviously not enough. But uh, you know, they're doing some good work, as many of the states are, in getting the word out, educating people about the dangers of tobacco use, helping with quit lines for people who need help quitting. So there's, there's positive work being done, but we know there can be so much more if the uh, tobacco control folks in the state are given more money, which is what we're urging through this report. Well, and there has been some noise made about the legislature possibly raising the tobacco tax. What would that do? Uh, Raising the state's tobacco tax would be one of the, if not the most important things the state could do to bring down smoking rates, especially among kids, because they're very price sensitive. So if you have a significant increase in the tobacco tax, like $2 per pack, like we're talking about in Mississippi, you will see youth use uh, go down, because that has happened everywhere in the country when there's been a significant increase in the tobacco tax. Right now, Mississippi's 
tobacco tax is only $0.68 cents per pack. That ranks at 40th. If you raised it $2 per pack, you would bring in not only bring in money, useful revenue for the state, but you would bring down the smoking rates. And right now, youth smoking rates in uh, Mississippi are still over 9%, so above the national average, and the adult smoking rate is still like the sixth highest in the country at over 22%. So raising the tobacco tax Every study has shown and history and experience have shown is probably the single most effective way to bring down smoking, especially among kids. As you just said, Mississippi uh, has a higher rate of smokers than the national average. That's true of southern states and Midwestern states. Why is that the case? Exactly. Unfortunately, we like to say that tobacco is not an equal opportunity killer, and we've made a lot of progress, but some groups and states still have these very high rates of smoking and tobacco-related disease. As you mentioned, states in the Midwest and the South, people with low income and less education, LGBT Americans, people who are uninsured or on Medicaid, those with mental illness. And these differences are in large part due to because the tobacco industry's targeting of these vulnerable populations through their advertising and price discounts and other marketing strategies. So the people we can least afford to let down are the ones we're letting down the most. It is staggering the amount of money that tobacco companies are spending, $26 million a day to market tobacco products. That comes out to $9.5 billion a year. How much are these companies making if they can spend that much in advertising? Well, they're, they're making a ton, not only here in the United States, but across the world. And if you look at a state like Mississippi, where the industry, tobacco industry spends an estimated $125 million a year, that means that for every $1 the state is spending on tobacco prevention, the industry is spending $15 to drown out their messages. So it's an industry that's never going to let up because the only way they can keep new clients is by uh, luring a new generation into tobacco and nicotine addiction. And we're seeing it with cigarettes, and now we're seeing it with the e-cigarette epidemic among electronic cigarettes and Juul, threatening to addict a whole new generation. Your report contains so much information. As an advocate, what do you want people to take away from this report and this interview? What people need to do is realize that the only way to make progress in this is through education efforts, prevention efforts, cessation efforts. So people need to talk to their policymakers at the local level, at the state level, ask for more funding for these programs, ask for a higher tobacco tax rate so we can bring down youth smoking rates, ask the federal government and local localities and states to ban these e-cigarette flavors. That way we can protect our youth and we can truly bring about the first tobacco-free generation. John Schachter is the Director of State Communications for the Campaign for Tobacco-Free Kids. John, thank you so much. My pleasure. And folks can go to TobaccoFreeKids.org for more information about the report or the issue in general. Coming up, thinking of quitting smoking in 2019? Find out what an expert says about planning ahead. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education with 100% online master's or specialist degrees in fields like teaching, leadership, higher education, and more. More information at rebelteacher.com. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. 
About 22% of Mississippi adults are smokers. According to the State Department of Health, tobacco use is the leading preventable cause of disease and death in the United States. In the Magnolia State, 5,400 adults die each year from smoking, and 192,000 children are exposed to secondhand smoke at home. Quitting the habit is a top goal for many at the start of the new year, but health officials say planning ahead is vital. Dr. Tom Payne is the director of the ACT Center for Tobacco Treatment and Control. He tells us oftentimes the majority of smokers want to quit but don't know how. On average, on any given day, 70% of smokers would love to quit. 70%? Oh, yeah. And every year, about one in two make an effort. So people want to stop. How addictive is smoking compared to drugs or alcohol? It's a hard question to answer. You know, um, if you look at the percent that are likely to quit, it's lowest for for smokers, I mean, in in that regard. Also, um, if you look at the genetics of this, one of the the liability, the the genotypes and the haplotypes that seem to relate to the liability is higher for nicotine than it is for cocaine, opiates, alcohol. They tend to be in the 20 to 30 percent risk range, but for tobacco use, it's about 50 percent. So in other words, one out of two people that tries nicotine is at risk to go on to become a chronic user. So for, those, for the others... Those are the ones who, who use it for a little while and then put it down because they don't really like it and it's, it's not that big a deal. You have to have the genetic mechanisms that make efficient metabolism of nicotine a function within your body kind of thing. And that tend, in an American society anyway, that tends to be about one out of two. Here we are in the new year and I'm sure there are smokers who want to quit and they say, this is when I'm going to do it. Can someone just quit or do they have to make preparations? Do they take the pack of cigarettes, crinkle it up, and throw it in the trash? Or? Right. So there's an old saying that no smokers plan to fail, but many fail to plan. Um, so, you know, in, in, in a nutshell, yes, some people just, just you know, crush the pack and throw it away. Um, I think that happened more in the past. Those who can do that have done that. <laughs> Those who are left are those oh, who, I see. who don't who have more of a problem with it. It's more difficult kind of thing. So we, we certainly and and certainly the people that we see, and I think this holds for a lot of people who are uh, who are out there uh, using tobacco products. Um, having a quit plan is almost always a very very good idea. So you want to you know get your mindset about why is this important to you. Because you need that motivating influence. It can be your health. It can be your kids. It can be just not wanting the control, the the addictive control that the substance has over. It's a mastery kind of thing. It can be uh, the money. You know, I mean, there's so many reasons that the individual needs to think about a little bit and really kind of be clear about what their benefit because when times are a little tough in, in, in quitting, you want to be able to refer back to that and say, this is why I'm doing that. Do you have to project forward and picture yourself not smoking in every situation that you normally would? Um, I think ultimately that it, it probably happens the other way, that you start not doing it and realizing 
hey, I can get through this situation without without using tobacco. It's not necessary for me to to kind of do that. It's very much the approach we take at the Act Center, which is we we have people focus first on the easier situations where they use tobacco, where they can pull those cigarettes or that tobacco use out of those situations and then expand it to other areas and stuff. And what people usually find in our program, for example, is that within three weeks or four weeks – they're smoking well under 50% of what they did before kind of thing. And they're amazed by it. But being systematic, being having a clear plan and, and going step by step, not trying to tackle too much at once. So someone can the, wean themselves off the absolutely, cigarette. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and that's a place I think also where medications come in. They really help us to wean because they reduce the craving and the withdrawal and make it easier to control this situation or that situation or whatever. You know, we'll, we'll typically say – how long is your drive to work in the morning? 30 minutes. Okay, let's not smoke on the road to to work. And people would first get very freaked out by that. It's like, you know, I don't know if I can do that and stuff. But they very quickly learn that's something that I can do, you know, or that I will banish smoking from within my house and only go outside. Simply deciding to do that reduces the number of cigarettes a person smokes because you start to tackle those automatic triggers that have been there for so long by forcing yourself to say, I got to go over there. I got to pick up my cigarettes. I got to walk outside. It's an effort. That's right. And when you realize it's an effort, people become a little bit, well, maybe I can resist this one. Well, you resist one here, one here, and one here, and all of a sudden, the rate at which you're smoking is dropping significantly kind of thing. And, and, and so we feel for a lot of people that more gradual process works very, very well for them. That strong behavioral uh, approach like that coupled with medication usage and then – in our case, if they're coming to a program, following people for a while to make sure because people are going to hit bumps in the road. There's, you, know, you should expect that. It's going to happen kind of thing. But you can learn from them. You can beat them. And in the long run, you can become tobacco-free. People who want to quit smoking in central Mississippi have a great resource in the Absolutely. ACT Center. What about those from other parts of the state? Yeah, it's, you know, at one point when funding was better, <laughs> we uh, we had 36 sites all around the state and we're providing free services to everyone. And I remember those days, it was it was wonderful. But like most things, uh, you know, it doesn't last forever. Um, so we will very likely be moving into telehealth applications. And so we will have a greater reach for people around the state with respect to that. So that's coming hopefully in the next year where we're in the process of exploring what it would take to do that. And uh, the other option is, of course, the quit line. You can, you know, we train the quit line counselors. They're very talented folks. Um, and uh, you can call them. And obviously that's it's a free service. They do give some medications to folks in, in in support of that and such. For some people, that's a great thing. Some don't want to do that. And What's the number for the quit line? The number for the quit line is 1-800-QUIT-NOW. Uh, the number for the ACT Center is 601-815-1180. Dr. Tom Payne is the director of the ACT Center for Tobacco Treatment, Education, and Research. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Listen to MPB News on all your devices. Just download the MPB Public Media app or tell your smart speaker, open MPB Think Radio. Coming up, we'll hear from women of color marching for equality across the state and nation. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Running a business requires smart decisions every day. Make a good decision for your company today and reach MPB listeners through MPB program underwriting. For more information... 
Go to mpbonline.org slash underwriting. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Women of color in Mississippi are sharing their hopes and concerns about representation in the women's movement. MPB's Jasmine Ellis reports. A group of women are sitting in a circle and singing during the Womenist Rally in Jackson. It's standing room only, threatening weather move the third annual event indoors. Speakers, entertainers, and different organizations such as Planned Parenthood, Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America, and the ACLU of Mississippi are in attendance. Talamika Bryce is the organizer of this event. She says it's important for women across races to come together and hear from one another. I felt like that it was a great opportunity to come together and amplify the voices of women of color and to introduce feminists to a story that they may not have heard as much with the womanist movement. I feel like that that is our path forward. The term womanist was coined by author Alice Walker. It describes a black feminist or feminist of color. A critique of the feminist movement is that it has not done enough to include women of color. Beth Herzig lives in Madison and owns a business in Ridgeland. She says it's important for women of color to feel supported in the Women's March and movement. Women of color have not been represented in the Women's March movement and throughout its small history of two years there's been a lot of disagreement about representation and so when Talamika started this event I wanted to come support it as much as I could so that everyone, every woman of any background or culture is represented. The third annual gathering coincides with a nationwide women's march movement that began in 2017. Jasmine Ellis, MPB News. The League of Women Voters is one organization working to increase diversity as it continues its nearly 100-year mission across the state. Formally organized in February of 1920, the nonpartisan group works to address issues in the community. Carolyn Towns and Marianne Everett are co-presidents of the State's League. Towns tells us they have chapters in each region of Mississippi. There's a national organization, then the state organization, We have four local leagues, uh, Jackson, uh, Pine Belt in Hattiesburg, the Gulf Coast, uh, Oxford, which is north-central Mississippi. And we have a new league starting uh, their work in Meridian. Do the states or the individual chapters within the state have different focus? They might have different priorities, but all of our positions are determined by our national uh, organization through the grassroots. All, all positions come from the grassroots, from our local leagues up to the state, up to the national office. So one league might be working on voter registration. Another one may be pushing some legislation on education. But we're um, so there are different priorities for each league, but we all stand for the same issues. You are an advocacy organization. We yes. are. How does that play out in the state, especially this year in an election year, in a statewide election year? We are also a lobbying organization, but lobbying for us means specific legislation. We do not lobby for candidates or uh, our anything anything like that. Lobbying is strictly on a specific piece of legislation where we will go to the legislature and talk to our representatives and, and senators uh, and really push for, for that. And, we, and we've been very active on that in the past. But we will advocate for anything that improves our government, uh, improves the quality of life, 
that opposes discrimination, but everything it really related relates back to our voter services. We want our voters uh, to be registered, and we want them to be educated to know about the issues, to know what the candidates' positions are. You have Constitutional Amendment Initiative 66. What is that? 66 was an effort to put on the ballot in 2020 a change in the Constitution of Mississippi to reform our redistricting process in this state. Some people call it gerrymandering, but we'll be working this year mostly on educating uh, the public about uh, redistricting, but we'll be looking at reforming redistricting. How so? How do you make that a constitutional amendment? The Secretary of State's office and the Attorney General's office have clear guidelines on how you do that. Uh, You will remember Initiative 42, uh, which was to uh, fully fund the uh, MAEP. Um, So it worked the same way. Uh, some, Some person, a voter, a citizen, a registered voter, simply fills out a form in the Secretary of State's office and says, uh, this is what we want on our ballot. We want to reform uh, redistricting in the state. And Secretary of State's office sends it to the Attorney General's office, and they approve it, and they send it back to the Secretary of State's office, and they approve it until it reaches all the approval levels. And, And then we have to get enough signatures that support that going on the ballot. Marianne, tell us uh, some other examples of how the League of Women Voters advocate to get voters registered and other things. Our local leagues, uh, much of their activity is in registering voters. Our emphasis lately has been on young people, so much of the uh, voter registration activities have been going on in high schools, community colleges, and senior colleges. Some of our local leagues visit farmers' markets on a regular basis. Any festivals or events that are going on in cities or towns, they usually are present with a voter registration table. The local leagues have programs, uh, program meetings for their members. They also sponsor forums for candidates to come or debates. Uh, We have to have representatives from both sides uh, to have a a debate. Forums is where issues get talked about. Uh, People give their different views. Uh, We have programs, uh, the local leagues do, on various issues or things that might be coming up in the legislature. Uh, Education is a big uh, item for the League of Women Voters. We think uh, we are very much advocates for public education in Mississippi and for it to be adequately funded. We are against discrimination of any kind. You mentioned going after younger voters to get them registered. Yes. What about minorities? Because there there are a smaller number of minorities who are registered to vote. Yes. Uh, uh, in the Jackson public school system this past year, the Jackson League of Women Voters was in every public high school in Jackson registering young people to vote. And our our organization is also diverse. It's not diverse enough, uh, but we are wanting to be much more diverse than we are right now. Um, I might add that the Pine Belt League uh, in, in the Hattiesburg area got a grant from our national organization for voter registration specifically targeting uh, underserved 
populations. populations. How does someone become a member? On our state website, there is a membership form that one can complete and send in. They can print it off. And what the membership form tells them where the local leagues are and gives them the address for the local league where to mail their membership form and their check. They can pay online with PayPal, or they can send a check to the local league wherever the local league is. If there is no local league, they can pay a reduced fee to become a member at large of the league. Marianne Everett and Carolyn Towns are co-presidents of the League of Women Voters. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank Thank you. you. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's Money Talks. Then at 10, it's In Legal Terms. And at 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking. We want to hear from you. Let us know what you think about a story or send us a news tip by visiting MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 830 for the next Mississippi edition, only on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education with 100% online master's or specialist degrees in fields like teaching, leadership, higher education, and more. More information at rebelteacher.com.